Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Even the Score podcast, a podcast about soundtracks and scores for movies, TV shows, and video games. I am, as usual, your host, Don, and I am joined, of course, by my two co-hosts, Anthony and Jason. Hello to you both. Oh, good morning. And good afternoon from the States. Ah. Well, we've got a little bit of a shorter episode coming up. Uh, We are jumping, continuing to jump into season three here. And we had such a good time in our between the season stuff where we did a little bit of a uh, a movie watch of uh, Turning Red. We thought we'd do it again. Uh, And uh, Disney Plus has come through once again with another uh, interesting gem for us to talk about here. And it's the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, kind of like a live action animated mix all in the weird sort of Disney cinematic TV everything universe that we are going to dive a little bit into and talk about after uh, our usual segment, which is uh, what what you're listening to. And I think I'll kick us off for uh, what you're listening to this week because I I don't have too, too much uh, in comparison to what I was listening to from the last episode. This one kind of extends a little bit more uh, as to what I was listening to in the previous one. And that was really weird musical playlists of instrumental music that I can just kind of zone out to and work work. And I have some really odd titles for you guys. Uh, These are the things that I've been listening to and I want to get your take on it. So the biggest one is you're in an empty space for 10 hours and three seconds. And it's just Ah. weird sort Ah. of environmental instrumental oddity stuff. Almost like ASMR background noise. Wild. You're in a hole. What is it? You're in an empty space for 10 hours and three seconds. And And three seconds. I like that point. (laughs) I mean, that probably describes life right <laughs> about now in general. Very true. In a big empty space for it. Yeah, anyways. Uh, the other ones are a uh, playlist for exploring altered realities. Oh. A playlist for involuntary. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> the way Anthony perked up for the altered reality stuff. Listen, the metaverse and the multiverse is super hot right now. So and I think that's really neat. Oh, that's where you were going with it. I yeah. thought this was like excitement over like stuff to listen to when I'm high. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty much a given. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's just music for Anthony at this yeah. point. Uh, another wonderful one here is a playlist for involuntary self-judgment as a 19th century villain. Stop. Yep, legit. That <laughs> is mean, one of them. There. That is so specific. That is very specific. Yep. My favorite one, though, that I have been playing a couple times now is "You're an astronaut lost in space, discovering things that humanity will never be able to." <laughs> See, these specific situations, I think, are really good, and I don't think they're limiting whatsoever. I think you could include lots of sounds in there. It, like. it works. It just works. That last one, though, is is so good. Kind of feels like Mad Libs, though, right? Like, it's like you <laughs> you come up with this playlist, and it's like, all right, what, what am I going to call it? <laughs> yeah. Roll them dice. <laughs> Roll them dice and string some odd words together. We and... need a verb ending in L-Y. That's basically what it's been. Yeah. 
I'm listening to these so often now because we're right in the heart of a really big season for my work. Like we have just basically one task and they're all pretty much just the same. Like the astronaut floating through space, the altered realities, the exploring empty spaces for hours. It's just basically the same hour of music that's just looped constantly. And I've been noticing the similarities, but it works. It really has helped with kind of doing random work things that don't require focus. Well, not require focus for the the music side, but it's nice to have stuff in the background, especially with working from home still. I mean, that's interesting, although maybe it's a kind of telling at the same time. It's like, yeah, we're doing all the same thing, but we're going to make ourselves seem uh, special by naming our uh, playlist bizarre things that get a lot of attention. So, you know, it's like the clickbait version of YouTube music. Yep. <laughs> the only other thing I've really been listening to is uh, Stranger Things 4. It has just been recently been released. I haven't jumped into it yet, but what I did is I went back and listened to a bunch of the soundtracks from the previous three seasons, and I I cannot get beyond, uh, I believe it's season three's Twist of Fate by Olivia Newton-John. That has been consistently on repeat. And then I know that Kate Bush, Running Up That Hill, is the big song from the latest season, so those two have been back and forth on my playlist just when I need a a break from the weird instrumental that I've been listening (laughs) to, so that's pretty much... The subtle ennui of being a 19th century villain exactly (laughs) i didn't even get into when you feel like a chef cooking the most delicious food ever playlist but that's for another time (laughs) so that isn't like the swedish chef in the background just (laughs) (laughs) that'd be amazing Anthony, do you want to go next? Oh, boy. I would love to. Please. Um, So I would say my big listening pleasure right now is summer music. So uh, one of the things I always do is, especially for the summer, I create a summer whatever year it is playlist. And I really come back to this playlist a lot. And it tends to generate a lot of, like, associations with songs with summer. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, the song of the summer. The song of the summer. What's everyone listening to? I have a couple songs that are my songs of the summer that uh, I wanted to share with everybody. But I don't necessarily think they're going to be, like, mainstream. Some of them will be, and some of them are mainstream. But some of them are, like, a little bit off the beaten path. So I figured I'd share those because that's really what my main listening has just been playlists right now. I'm all about, like, it's really nice weather, we're out on the balcony, we're just walking around the house doing stuff, and um, I don't necessarily always want to listen to one thing. Mm -hmm. I always like like eclectic movements and, like, just different sounds that are coming through. So the biggest song, the number one song for me, and I would say the song of the summer, right now is Lizzo's uh, About Damn Time. Mm. And I... I'm such a huge Lizzo fan. I've been a fan for her, of hers for a really long time. I've got the uh, I got the absolute joy of seeing her um, before she kind of broke out and became huge. And I saw her in a little club, and she just always has such an incredible energy and a positivity because she doesn't and she acknowledges on her Instagram that sometimes she's not always feeling great. And I uh, was going through a really stressful time at work, uh, specifically about a month ago, and it was just really rough. And I was having moments where I was like, man, I just feel kind of down right now. And I feel kind of 
defeated. And the first time I heard Lizzo's About Damn Time, it gave me such a joy and a spark and a renewed energy. And that's really where I, I cherish music. And I think that's such an important experience. And it doesn't always have to come from music, but I think with us, it does come from music. And so I really, Lizzo's About Damn Time is just came at the right perfect moment and it's just summarizes how a lot of people felt after the pandemic and it's just such a fucking good song <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, a new song by an artist I went and saw called Rina Sawayama, um, and she's a British-Japanese artist, and uh, she's pansexual, and so I got to go see her about a month ago, and she's got this new song called This Hell, and it basically takes the idea that church villainized many of the queer community um, by saying you're going to hell, you know, damnation, whatever, you're all going to hell because you're gay. So she essentially takes that concept and she wrote a song that's basically like, well, you know what? If we're going to hell, I'd rather be there than with all these exclusive people. So the hook of the song is this hell is better with you. I really enjoy that as a bit of an empowerment anthem. It's like definitely got some queer vibes and it definitely turns that notion that, you know, we're as a queer person, I'm going to hell and it gets to turn that on its head. And then the last thing I want to say is that I've been listening to Dionne Warwick's Heartbreaker. And I'm pretty sure I talked about this a couple episodes ago, but I did a drag show yesterday. Ooh. It was my first time doing a drag show since before uh. the pandemic. And so, uh, yeah, I got to uh, lip sync uh, Dionne Warwick's Heartbreaker yesterday. And so, like any good drag queen, I was listening to that and only that on repeat for like a week and a half. So I could memorize the lyrics. And the performance went so well. Yesterday, the fundraiser was such a huge success. It was like, we raised over $2,500. And so it was just like all the way around. It was a super amazing, successful event to raise funds for my partner to bring his family here to Canada. And I now have a new core memory of uh, Dionne Warwick's Heartbreaker. And I don't think I'll ever think of that song again the same because I did a drag show and my idea was I was going to wear, and this is kind of scandalous, but I was going to wear nipple tassels. Mm. And then I had a big, frilly, huge, puffy, almost like robe jacket. And so I was performing in that. And I had this gorgeous hair. And then I was so sweaty when I pulled off the robe, the nipple tassels went flying off. <laughs> you little slut. I know! I, it was, and then suddenly I'm just standing there and the one gag of my drag performance is like on the floor in front of me. And I was like, well, shit. So here's Dion Warwick talking about like, you and I made you. And I was just like, all right, fine. So I picked up one of the nipple tassels. I made it work. 
Um, but honestly, it was such a fun uh, performance. It was such a fun song. And so I think I can officially say that Dion Warwick's Heartbreaker is now going to be a, a, you know, a part of my core memories. So yeah, that's what I've been listening to. <laughs> it better be a part of your core set too. That thing needs to keep on coming <laughs> oh. back. Thank you. I agree. I have some like numbers that I've put away now to be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely bringing that back. Shebop by uh, Cindy Lauper I did before, Ooh. and that's but now Dion Warwick's uh, Heartbreaker with nipple tassels that fly off definitely coming. <laughs> Shebop. Now, how hard do you lean into that? All right, if you really, I'm going to do a quick breakdown. It basically involves uh, me using household items to masturbate. Because, of course, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was like, I, I, yeah, it's like, spoiler alert. <laughs> but, yes, that's how I, like, I basically do the performance as, like, dressed up as Cindy Lauper. And then I gather things from around the house. And because the song is about masturbation, obviously. So, yeah, I basically do the set where I shove things up my dress and I make it look like <laughs> masturbating. <laughs> that's that's kind of what you can expect from a drag show with my candy for dinner i uh, hope that lives on the <laughs> interweb someplace oh yes there's definitely video of it so i'll i'll share <laughs> in future when we have to submit an episode for award consideration i think we found the clip that we absolutely need I, me explaining my drag performances shebop yes yeah please. i'm so hashtag queer content happy pride everyone <laughs> Awesome. Very nice. Jason. Jason, you got a bit of a ace up your sleeve. I did, but it was definitely an unexpected ace. Um, I mean, I I haven't listened to any brand new vinyl or, you know, anything since, uh, you know, I, the last time we got together. I, I wish I could buy vinyl like that, but, you know, good old inflation. But, you know, my wife had been telling me she was uh, planning to surprise me with something for, you know, some days. And... I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go out to dinner someplace or, you know, do something we haven't done in a little while. Didn't really think a whole lot of it. And, you know, my when my wife does these surprises, she really likes to keep me in the dark until the absolute last minute, which the older I get, I find that I don't appreciate so much because it's like, you know, well, we shocked to the system. <laughs> we, you know, we got in the car. I'm like, I have no idea where we're going. Okay, here's the address didn't think anything of the address at, at the time i was like but wait well actually i did think something i was like oh this is dc we got to drive down that you know mind you this is like <laughs> a little after 5 p.m so it's it's peak rush hour it's like you know in dc from where i live is a good 45 minutes under like ideal conditions so in traffic it's a different story and so i'm driving you know i'm following the gps or whatever and i'm just like grumble 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 <laughs> snort grumble grumble and then we you know we get to the location i'm like the kennedy center you know and again i'm before we even get to the kennedy center i'm like thinking the whole time I'm like of all places i hate going to dc why are we going to dc for dinner right because like i'm thinking it's something like that or maybe she found some like you know eclectic uh album shop she wanted me to see or you know something like yeah that. something mm -hmm. unique yeah something unique never anticipating anything quite like you know oh we're about to go see a concert so you know we go up inside the uh of the kennedy center and you know parking's like 25 bucks and like grumble grumble snort grumble. Hey, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> um you know pulling the parking spot and she's like so i would be surprised if you didn't know about this but herbie hancock's here we're going to go see him in concert and i'm like 
I'm like trying to fix my face, but I'm like, I was so unhappy a few seconds ago. So anyways, we, you know, we walk in and I'm like, well, gosh, it's the Kennedy Center. I wish I'd put on something a little bit snazzier, like, because, you know, she's like, well, yeah, you may want to put on like a button, a button down shirt or something like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll go with it. I'm like, that's fine. But when I got there, I was like, well, damn, I would have changed my shoes. I probably would have put on like a pair of slacks or something like, yeah, anyway, I got over it. I, I, I'm, I've been around the block enough times to know that like when you have any sort of food at like in a venue, you're going to pay through the nose for it. Right. But freaking couple uh, a sandwich and uh, a charcuterie board and like a couple of drinks and you know tip and next thing you know i'm like almost out an additional 100 bucks now i'm like i'm like but i'm at this point i'm like well damn it is herbie hancock but damn this sucks i wasn't planning on this um anyways you know so it gets close to 7 30 we roll in and now mind you i have no idea what seats we got but it turns out out of this venue, which I would have to estimate is probably like, you know, maybe a thousand or so seat venue. We're in the front section, like in like the last row of the front. So like, you know, I barely had to adjust the focus on my camera to get like relatively decent pictures of the stage, which was like, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. And, you know, we're like before anything happens, uh, you know, my wife is like, well, I'm not sure who's going to open. I'm like, I'm looking at the stage and I'm looking like, you know, the the baby, you know, actually not a baby grand grand piano, like keyboards. I've seen him used on like a handful of occasions. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're just going to come on and do their thing. Right. And sure enough, that was definitely the case. You know, they they come out. I wish I could remember all the names, but one, you know, I was staring at the bassist for a while because I'm like. I know this dude, but I'm not exactly sure why I know this dude. Well, come to find out, he's like the bassist from SNL. I was like, oh, get oh out. snap. <laughs> like, this is so cool. So anyways, I'm, you know, I'm just like, oh, this is, um, I'm geeking out. And the the kicker is that I guess the Kennedy Center was going to do like a meet and greet after, but it got shut down because of oh. COVID, which is like sort of, I mean, yeah, that sucks. But at the same time, I would have wanted to be prepared for that. So, yes. like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, in a way, I'm kind of glad because it's like, I don't want to, you know, like, I don't know, mentally, I would have had to get in the game for that one. And plus, it would have been nice to have an album or two. Like, please, exactly. Uh, you sign <laughs> please, uh, can you sign some more? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was awesome. You know, I tried to resist the urge of, like, of, you know, recording every particular moment, but there are a couple of moments I couldn't help myself. You know, like the the bass solo, and then like I think I may have recorded a bit of "I'll Come Running to Me," which, you know, it was it's kind of cool. I mean, dudes literally got decades and decades of a discography, and so it's like he could have picked stuff from any particular period, but it was cool that like he zeroed in on the sun, like his Sunlight album, which was sort of like not exactly my entree because I mean he'd been my, on my radar before, but not quite in the same way once there was that connection like uh jay dylan everything that like was established i'm like oh my gosh and like and then he confirmed for that song that was like the actual first use of a a vocoder and like uh you know recorded you know music or whatever which i was like yeah okay that that follows so like everybody else that had ever used that device like basically owes their style to him or whatever which 
I'm like, that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I was just like, I was seriously just geeking out. And, you know, so they did their thing. I mean, the drummer was a beast. He was like probably the youngest out of the five uh, folks that were up on stage. Herbie was pretty amazing for somebody in his 80s. Like at the end, he played a guitar, right? Like I actually didn't know what that thing was called. I was just like, okay, the synthesizer that you hold, like, you know, like a guitar or whatever. And like at the end, like he does this jump with it or whatever. And I'm like... What are you, Prince? Now, like, what, yeah. the, what is this? At like, eighty years you, old, like, yeah, yeah, you know, at like eighty-two. I mean, that's just freaking amazing, man. I want to be that spry at that age, mm-hmm. like, yeah. But you know, it was cool. I, I I tried not to indulge it too much when my wife was saying it, but I mean, it is kind of reality. It's like you don't know if you ever get that opportunity again, um, which is part of why I like had been going so hard on collecting this music because I'm like, well, gosh, I mean, you know, it's kind of like Stevie. It's like you know, you don't know how much time they have. Well, I mean, you don't know how much time we have, but you really don't know how much time they have. So it was pretty awesome to say, like, you know, I've at least seen him in concert once in my life. So that was what I was listening to on Friday. But um, aside from that, man, pretty much just everything I had been listening to uh, since we spoke last, just sort of keeping that rotation. Like in my office, the I've got like about a dozen uh, records that I've just been cycling through. Um as the the spirit hits so yeah i'm very excited that you got to go to a live concert i do appreciate that it must have been a very (laughs) conflicting emotion at the front where you're just like oh god i almost wish i had prepared for this but as somebody who does like to give surprises to their partner as well i can appreciate where your partner's coming from oh yeah i it's that especially in knowing how much you love herbie hancock even i gasped when i saw your photo and that you got to go see him and then uh, my next thought was, I was like, his partner is amazing. Like, what a beautiful gift to acknowledge that how much you love Herbie Hancock and she got that for you. So, yeah, yeah, that's so sweet, Jason. I'm really glad that you had to have that. You got to have that experience. Yeah, it was it was just great. And I was like, OK, well, I, I can fully prepare myself for my wife to milk this for a while. But you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's well deserved. on a lot of stuff right now. <laughs> oh, I thought the same thing when I was slipping through Instagram and I saw I saw Jason's post and I saw that you were at a venue. I was like, oh, Jason's Jason's. Oh, this is great. And then I saw who it was, was like, all right, this is going to be yeah. a conversation for the next record. This is going to be <laughs> wonderful. Jason, quick question. Does Herbie talk? at all throughout the performance does he like chat about stuff he does i mean he chats about what was going on for it sometimes during like uh the the writing or whatever of particular songs but then sometimes he just is kind of i wouldn't call him a ham but he's kind of a a a bit of a comedian up there like you know he he likes to crack his jokes here and there which is you know it's pretty cool like it won't yeah yeah i mean at one point he was uh he was shouting out uh paul jackson when they were uh doing a actual proof which is a a great song off of a thrust Uh, you know he was just talking about like you know various things and you know like that whole bit about the vocoder and just like how he'd uh come running to me was the first time it'd been used that was like one of those moments he dropped and it's like oh well okay that confirms that my wife and i were just having a conversation about like who you know who do we think used it first or whatever Mm -hmm. and come to find out you know it was him so that's that's kind of trippy so and you know by that we were like putting all the other songs that we could think of that use that sort of like in order it's like oh okay so that's where like zap and roger got it from or like you know like all these folks that used it afterwards so like you know i mean more recently folks like t-pain and then like the plethora of other folks that use it now it's just like this all kind of stems back from herbie herbie and you know and i mean i have to imagine that 
that was pretty controversial at the time, right? I mean, because, you know, here it is, the 70s, it's coming out of, like, the hard bop sort of era and everything, and it's like, I'm sure there were lots of purists at the time that just was like, this isn't jazz, like, but I, I just, I love the fact that Herbie just didn't give a crap and just did his thing anyway, which I, I you know, I think is, I think it's especially courageous when it comes to the arts, where you're just yeah. kind of like, I don't care what you think, yeah. I'm just going to do, you know, which kind of lends itself to the conversation we were having about, like, Kendrick last week, you yes. know, like, or whatever. It's just like, folks, go for it. You got to, at a certain point, you just got to respect it. Do you guys have any other artists that you absolutely want to see in concert before they die or before like a band breaks up or they get out of music? My wife and I were just having that conversation. There are only a handful, maybe less, that fall into that category. Would love to see Sade at some point, but that's like that's like Mission Impossible. I would really, really, really like if there was an opportunity to see Stevie, I would jump on it. Because again, decades of music decades of writing for other people decades of just like influence on the culture and it's like it would be awesome to see him but it's like you know what are the chances like i I don't even know if he plans to have tour again for any particular reason or you know if it would be sort of like more event specific like i mean i'm not like a super political animal but it almost would take something like that like being at like some event where like he just happens to be playing as opposed to actually seeing him like on a real tour um one I have one that I did do and one that I missed. Um, so one I did see Dolly Parton five years ago, nice. and I'm pretty sure that was her last tour. Like it might have been her final. I don't know if she has like yeah. So uh, I got to see her, and she was one of the ones that I was like, I really need to see um, Dolly Parton because she's a gift, and I don't think I'm gonna get another chance. So I definitely got to see her. I the one I did miss was I uh, was supposed to see Sharon Jones a year before she passed, oh, yeah. mm. and it ended up being at a jazz fest that was out in Hamilton, and there was like it was just a terrible storm here in Toronto, but in Hamilton it was gorgeous, and we couldn't get out there, and I was like, okay, you know what? She had a new album, and I was like, okay, I'll like you know we'll skip this one, and I'll be able to go see her when she comes back, and then bam. She passed, and I was like, and I got to see Sharon Jones twice before that, but I knew she had been re-diagnosed, and I knew she was sick, and I knew that she uh, she might not have long, and so I just, uh, that was one of the ones I regret, that I was like, fuck, I wish I brothered that storm and gone to see Sharon Jones. Um, Mm. So yeah, those are my two that I definitely have taken notice of, that I was like, ooh, yeah, no. Um, So one was good, one, I did miss them before they passed. That's, yeah. What about you, Don? I was fortunate enough to see Paul Simon in his farewell concert oh, tour in the final cool. venue in uh, in Queens, uh, basically like blocks away from his childhood home and his school and where he met Art Garfunkel and started his musical journey. So we were able to get to his last concert there. Um, there's nobody really jumping out to me that I absolutely want to see. I mean, I'd love to see Paul McCartney in Heyday, but I, it would be nice to see, like, a living Beatle do his thing. I know his newer stuff just isn't great, and, I mean, the vocals just doesn't hold up to when he was young, but I I can appreciate the legend that I would be looking at, similar to the Paul Simon concert. Paul Simon, he, I mean, he's far away from Graceland and Kodachrome and all that, but he still he held up really well, and it's amazing seeing a legend. Aside from that, I mean, I'd love to see Pink Floyd live in concert, they're losing hmm. members, kind of, they've already lost, I believe, two of them, and 
Um, Roger Waters has a uh, show here in Toronto on July 9th. And, like, yeah, I think that's one of his... I think it says farewell to her final tour. It's going to be tricky. It's, I mean, it's, it, and for me, like, it's, I, it's difficult to, to separate the two entities out. Like Pink Floyd still exists with David Gilmore kind of taking the lead when Roger Waters left. They had a really bad breakup. They only came together for like, I think Live Aid, the, a few, like a, a decade and oh. a half ago. Like they're separate now. And so Roger Waters tours himself, but he still is able to tour with Pink Floyd music. I think he does the Wall album. And he does that whole setup. And that's a huge production, like a visual production where they build like a physical, like five story wall on the stage and then tear it down. And that was what he was doing. Whereas there's Pink Floyd and they do all the rest of the catalog and like the newer stuff. So it's tricky to figure out like what I would want to see. Do I want to see Pink Floyd, the band or Roger Waters? Because he was kind of the heart and soul for such a long period of time. But aside from that, there's not too, too many. And I mean, with the way that the pandemic has been going, I'm sure there's going to be more and more coming out soon. Then I'll have, I'll be able to actually feel more comfortable in the near future and go out and see these people. It's just a matter of who do I want to see? And I've, I really don't know at this point. I could definitely see, I mean, yeah. And it, it, it kind of sucks when you have like a band as epic as, you know, a Pink Floyd that sort of tears itself apart because of, you know, I mean, various things, but, usually ego yeah um yeah not to bring a downer onto the conversation because i think seeing herbie hancock and that whole situation was unbelievably uplifting it's just a, it's just a, a question just really interesting to see where live acts will be going in in the next few years i mean if you're anything like what anthony's doing i mean you're seeing everything that you can all at once which is fantastic i think i just got tickets to another show Ooh, who are you gonna see uh rag and bone man Oh, okay. I've heard of that's uh blues, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, he's got that song. I'm only human. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. That's gonna be a fun show. That's in the fall. Oh, a drag queen named Alaska Thunderfuck. <laughs> yeah, Alaska's fantastic. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, these names, her. man. I know. I'm going to see her in November. I think she's got like she just released an album. So nice. She's like an alternative drag. So. Live music for everyone. Anthony walks into the concert and goes, hi! Yes! Yes! yes, yes. Awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. On, on Elastic Th- Alaska Thunderfuck, let's end the, uh, yeah. the What You Listening To segment. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about our thoughts on Chip and Dale. Right. Well, we are back. We are going to jump into our main topic for today's episode is our uh, our movie club watching of the week, which is the new uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers Disney Plus uh, joint here, providing us with a lovely dose of nostalgia for all of us of a very certain age, as we've discussed previously <laughs> with the Stranger Things demographic. But uh, but we uh, in planning the episode topic, I know you two had both seen it um, prior. Prior to that, I had I've just seen and I just saw it uh, the other day. So I think uh, we can go right ahead and I'll I mean I can give a quick description of the movie for anybody who who hasn't seen it. I mean we've got Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the thirty year old cartoon now at this point with Chip and Dale both being kind of actors, very similar to I, Anthony. I believe you made this reference. Uh, who framed Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Where the cartoon yeah, yeah, yeah. world exists in a reality where they coexist with like the real world 
And Chip and Dale are two actors, two chipmunks who met in school and they kind of created this comedy duo. They separated and this is kind of looking much later in the future with Dale still trying to grab onto some sort of fame, some sort of legacy and Chip now selling insurance and they get back together for one last caper it seems. Uh, to support their friends. And uh, I we're going to definitely go probably spoiler heavy in this episode. So if you haven't seen it, check out now. This is a spoiler warning. Tread lightly as you move forward through the podcast. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. But yeah, I, I think we have some interesting things to talk about, especially considering that this is our wheelhouse. This is definitely the age where we would be probably the most aware of the things that are occurring. And this is nostalgia uh, wrote specifically for us, basically. So who wants to start talking about their enjoyment of the movie? Because I think we're all at different areas of this one, similar to how we were with, with Luca and, and Turning Red and all the other movies that we talked about. Who wants to kick us off? Well, I can start off with my fan, uh, my super fan reaction. Sure. Um, which was, wee! <laughs> oh my god, I love it! <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought they approached it with the right attitude, uh, which is not taking the original seriously. Because we all have to remember, this is a Disney afternoon cartoon. This wasn't the pinnacle of television. A lot of the positive memories we have often are tied to the visuals, and we don't remember the scripts, we don't remember the quotes, we don't remember the character development, we don't remember any of that. A lot of it's the visual representation, the auditory cues. So when uh, a lot of the things with me with the reboots and the kind of rediscovering is they take it very seriously, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is really good. And you're like, no, no, it wasn't good. There was a certain level of uh, quality, but it wasn't very high. <laughs> and so I think with this, you got to take it with the, or you got to take it with the fact that this is a children's cartoon from the 90s. Like, it wasn't the pinnacle of smart. So I think for them to actually develop Chippendale as characters and create conflict after the reality of that show so it's almost like you don't even involve the characters of the show it's just about the show i think that's better for me and it really worked as a uh, plot a plot device and how they kind of move forward and this whole um dale becoming the cgi and uh you know i thought that was brilliant i thought that was such a good commentary on like the updating of what people do in the celebrity industry so i thought that was a very clever nod to how things are updated and what they look like and um i thought the uh villain was really well done that like aged peter pan i thought that was a sweet pete i thought that was so funny i thought it was a good reference to the old disney pete character really you know the gruff looking and again well i was expecting that yeah me too i was like i kind of half expected there to be some sort of reference so when it was sweet pete and he's a bit fatter and he's got that you know the um the fuzz on his face i was like this gives me very much like pete uh vibes from mickey and i thought that that was a, a again a really clever reference that they got peter pan the boy who didn't grow up and his villain story was he didn't want people to grow up. He wanted things to stay the same. And then, you know, and then the whole bootlegging, I thought that was incredibly clever. And, you know, the offshoot brands that you see and how does that happen? And, 
even the um, I thought that uh, the Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibes were very similar, especially at the end when you know Sweet Pea gets zapped with that weird, gross machine and he turns into what looks like the character from the original uh, Rescue Rangers episode. I was like, "This is freaky." As a kid, if I was watching this, that would be really disturbing. <laughs> In the same way that that dip scene in the Roger Rabbit was really disturbing. So I thought they even hit that right to be like, okay, their intended audience is a little bit of the older crowd. But as a children's entertainment, I thought it was smart. I thought it was really good. I thought it dealt with the idea of conflict and how do you deal with emotions. And then having that resolution at the end with the old characters and the original Fly and Gadget um, and Monterey Jack. So I, yeah, as you can tell, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very smart. The references galore made me such a nerd. Like when I saw Randy Marsh from South Park, <laughs> I was like, that is it for me. That's the best. How did, like, you included an R-rated reference in your children's movie. Like, that's pretty good. I got to give you props for that. Um, so yeah, I think overall I had a really good experience with it. And so did Salem. I think that's the other thing that interestingly enough, he has no connection to the show whatsoever other than knowing the theme song because I've made him listen to it. Well, that's what you do. <laughs> but, yeah. It's a part of a relationship. Um, he had no connection to the cartoon. He had no idea who the characters were. He had no concept of the show, like other than like references to it. Uh, and he really loved it. He, he did not need to know the source material and he still enjoyed it. But I'd like to hear what y'all have to say. Jason, how'd you like it? I thought it was cutesy. Unlike you, though, I do not think it's a children's film. I don't think it was ever intended to be a children's film. I think this was really intended, and maybe to me a bit gratuitous at times, to tug mm. on the strings of those that grew up with the show originally. Mm. Now, full disclosure, I did not grow up with the show. I mean, by the time Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers was on the air think that was sort of following like duck like ducktales was sort of like the last thing i paid attention to of yeah, that yeah, yeah. set of things by the time chip and dale rescue rangers came around i was in high school stuff like i you know chip and dale while like i i think the you know the theme song and all that stuff was great like it was the furthest thing from my mind at that point because you know i was trying to uh, trying to show how much of an adult or soon to be an adult you know like how mature i was and whatnot and Anyway, all that to say that and watching the film, there were a few, <laughs> there were a few things that I, I did find odd. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, hearing you talk about like uh, um, Dale's CGI surgery to to be more relevant would have made sense to me if he was still a working actor. But the fact that he was sort of like, you know, constructed as this person who I mean, well, they both were sort of has been. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that. Uh, Dale was a little less successful, like how he he didn't land as well as uh, uh, Chip did. So that part was kind of strange to me because I was like, well, oh, okay, you're just gonna <laughs> like even when they reunited, we're just we're not gonna talk about that, like the fact that like you know you're, <laughs> you're a CGI character, <laughs> <now>? <laughs> right, right. Like I mean, that just gonna whatever. But um, you know, I definitely appreciate all of the. The fan service that went on in the film i i you know all of the reference with references were insane and i just i think like i told you guys when we talked about it i was just like disney really owns all the rights to this stuff now i was like holy crap like when i saw like freaking uh optimus prime or at what point pop out or like you know south park and like all the like all the random references that they incorporated 
throughout the film, I was just like, holy crap, mm-hmm. Disney is like, a, you know, a juggernaut. But it was all right. Like, I, I didn't hate it, but at the same time, I wasn't like, oh, this is the best thing ever. You know, I think it was a, it was kind of a cutesy story. It did have, it was Roger Rabbit, but maybe not quite as dark as Roger yeah. Rabbit, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, one thing I'll say, because I'm sure we're going to get into this sooner or later, the, the music to me was kind of, like, I, rem- I remember a reference here or there to, like, you know, various songs. I did find myself put off a little bit by uh, um, Chip's aversion to hip-hop. I was just like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Really? Are you, you know, it's freaking 2020. Like, really? You're going to be that sort of... Uh... Anyways, I, I would have expected something like that decades ago, but not necessarily now. But uh, aside from that, yeah, it was, it was cool. I'm more with Jason on this one. Oh. I didn't... I, I was watching it, and it definitely was scratching the nostalgia itch. Like, I definitely was of the Chippendale Rescue Rangers age era. Like, I watched that. I watched DuckTales. Gargoyles came a little bit later. Like, that Disney block was definitely my Saturday. So I, I get it. And I the music, just to kind of start on that, I loved the little sort of variations and spins on the original Rescue Rangers theme. Like, it was everywhere. You would hear the same hits, like, crazy, like, quiet or crazy loud. And and that was really fun. The The licensed music in there was, was enjoyable as well. The actual subject matter, my opinion was that it was very front-loaded and back-loaded. And then the middle of it, all of the characters and the references that they were making felt very hollow to me. Like there was Dale at the the Comic-Con or like the Fan-Con and there's Baloo and there's um, Tigra and there's Ugly Sonic. Ugly Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Ugly with with teeth. With his weird (laughs) teeth. And the best part was when they kept, uh, he kept stopping and looking at the teeth. So that that was the gag. It's like he was be on the sass i was like oh they get it so much. that's great yeah and then at the back end it was very like when sweet pete got changed he has like the optimus prime like he's got the wreck it ralph arm he's got the cat face like i felt like that's where they really laid into the nostalgia references and then they would kind of sprinkle it in here and there with randy marsh showing up in the bathhouse there in the sauna and then immediately after there's scrooge in his his yeah. money mm-hmm. bath. his money pit. exactly yeah, yeah yeah and he's kind of enjoying there and then everything else felt a little hollow like the police commissioner guy was just this random sort of gumby-esque character mm-hmm. i would think they would try to make him something it's like oh I, I ran on hard times got into the police force whatever and that's how he got corrupted or with the cheese shop owner like it's just this random muppet as opposed to like the Swedish chef or like animal or like something that you would put the references in. And it just felt like if you're going to go so far with the references, go whole hog for me, like do the whole thing. Everybody, something that I can point to and go, Oh, that's interesting. You really thought about how that person fit into this new world rather than just kind of every once in a while they would show up because with me, with Roger Rabbit, they got a real sense of who is who and why are they there? Like with Betty Boop, She's selling cigars and cigarettes at the at the the show with Bugs and Mickey. Like they show up just really focused in on a on a scene. Like I think they could have done that with other characters in whatever Disney owns at this point, which is basically like 75% of (laughs) all known media, basically. Like you could fit those characters in really well. You could pull in tons of hidden references. 
but they they chose to kind of make it generic and it was just it seemed like they pulled their punch a little bit in that in that sense if you're gonna really leverage nostalgia to push this vehicle upon me and to do follow-ups really go to town with it so it kind of it felt a little flat there the story was enjoyable i really liked it and i always like that interaction of cartoon with real live action person and i think they did it really well especially with uh, scale and size of things like chip and dale are sitting at a tiny little table in a cafeteria they have a small house Monterey Jack lives in a small apartment complex where, like, the cop, she's, like, right at window so, like, level. right there at the window. And that was awesome. Exactly. Oh, that was such a good gag. <laughs> like, it's funny. When, she, when they take her to, to uh, Chip's house and they give her a beer, she's got, like, this tiny little beer bottle. She's like, thanks, and kind of, like, tips it up. Like, it, it, I like what they did with that. The voice acting was really enjoyable. It wasn't what I was expecting, I would say. I think they, a lot of the characters stayed true. I love Dennis Haysbert, who played, or Zipper. Oh, yeah. And he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, yeah. that was ironic, to say the least. He's so good. Little thing with this gigantic He's voice. got an amazing voice. I mean, I remember him from 24, him playing the president. So him being Zipper was fantastic. It was creepy that him and Gadget got together with all their creepy It was a little children. weird. I was like, that was... <laughs> I was like, I, I think you're introducing a weird concept <laughs> huh. into your animated universe here that, like, what? Yeah, it's, it's a like, bit weird. weird yeah. Mouse, <laughs> weird mousefly children. But on that note, I was really excited they brought Tress McNeil back. She was the OG gadget voice, and she was also on The Simpsons as Maud Flanders, and she was killed off. Um, but I literally gasped and like grabbed Salem and I was like, it's Tress McNeil. And he's like, who? And I was like, Lindsay <laughs> Nagel from the Simpsons. And he's like, Oh my God. So I was really happy to see her back. I think that was a really good fan. It was great because everybody else was not the original. Like uh, obviously zipper had no yeah. voice, but it's, it's Dennis Haysbert. They've got Eric Bana to do Monterey Jack and they had John Mulaney and, and Andy Samberg doing Chip and Dale. It's nice that they had the throwback of here's our through line to the original series. Tress McNeil is still with us. So we're going to throw her in there. And it's almost like what they did with Transformers when they rebooted that back in the early 2000s. They brought back the original Optimus Prime voice and even like age and and a, a voice changing over time still hits with that Optimus Prime sort of gravitas to it. I think Tress McNeil with Gadget still works. It's still hit for me. But, but oh, sorry, oh, oh ooh. no, no, go, go for it. So this is a logistical universe thing, which actually has no bearing in the real world, which was why I was like, maybe I don't need to talk about this. <laughs> but if the idea exists that Tress McNeil voiced the original Gadget in the series, then why would she be the only one that still has the same voice when all of the new other voices have changed? Why would Tress McNeil stay the same and not the other characters? It's a conspiracy I don't want to get into. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jason, you know that... Exactly. So- <laughs> That, that is actually something I was planning to talk about a little bit more because, you know, growing up with like, you know, sort of like the Disney day off or whatever and like hearing like the original Chippendale cartoons, I'm kind of surprised they didn't play a little bit more service to sort of the way the voices evolved over time. I do think that I kind of remember there being a moment where like they showed they were talking normally like they did throughout most of the movie and then there was like something that sped up their voices so they actually sounded like you know the original the original it happened twice there was once where they were writing for the show they were like writing a script and they got into the voice as they were kind of imitating the characters and then when they fight 
they were fighting at one point and they they were fighting faster and faster and then it escalated into the original voices. Yeah. So that bugged me a little bit. You know, it's I, also I just... cartoon world logic. It's one of those things where you're trying to apply real world logic to the cartoon <laughs> world and you're like, oh right, this doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not supposed to think about it this much. <laughs> Which is the reality. So I mean, I'm not going to come down on it super heavy, but it's also like, you know, it's not. I doubt it's going to be anything where I'm like, yeah, let me go pick up that movie again and go like check it out because it was awesome. It's like, it was all right. It was, yeah. And I'll, I'll watch a sequel if they come out with it just to see if they do any tweaks to it. But but yeah, it was... I think you mean a squeak. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Of course they're rapping. <laughs> Once you rhyme whale with Dale, you can't help it. Yeah. Like I'll huh. I'll I'll check in. I'll see what they do with it. And if it, it depends on what they do with it as well. Like if they're gonna make a series out of this, maybe not so much, but if they do another one off movie, I'll jump in. In kind of response to the bootleg thing, I thought that was really interesting. I liked how there was a villain component to it that wasn't who framed Roger Rabbit, which was definitely a lot darker. Like we're going to just alter these people as opposed to like dip them and kill them. Yeah. Like yeah, that's right. definitely intense. They really did lean into, like, the whole sort of collection culture thing, too, with, like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Dale basically having his own mausoleum of, like, artifacts from his heyday up. Yeah, that, that I mean, I don't know. Part of that kind of resonated with me. Yeah, even the fact that, like, the thing that saved him in the end was the pog, the golden pog. Like, I think that was a great touch. And, yeah, so I definitely, it sounds like I enjoyed it uh, fully a little bit more mm-hmm. than both of you. Um, I'll probably definitely check it out again. I'll probably throw it down again, just in the background. Um, I wouldn't say I was obsessed with it, but definitely I'll check out a sequel if they do it. And I, I like, yeah, I just, I also think I, uh, I really love Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island. I'm a huge fan of them. I've followed them a lot and I've, not just their videos, their albums actually. And I find them very clever. I find Andy Samberg, who again, I, I think it's just fascinating. He's married to Joanna Newsom. I don't know if either of you know Joanna Newsom. She's like, I guess you would even, I get, I think I'm probably going to cause a bit of a controversy if I say this, but Uh I think you could actually kind of compare Joanna Newsom to a newer version of Kate Bush. She's very much like a music, musician's musician. She's a bit of a darling. She plays the harp. Well, there's a a few people that play the harp, like that have gotten on my radar recently. So that's not necessarily, yeah, yeah, that's not necessarily a... A crazy thing, but what Joanne, what's her last name? Newsom, N-E-W-S-O-N. But yeah, he's married to this like musician's musician. She's very like artsy and very art theater, and he's just this like vulgar chipmunk. <laughs> so I find even them pairing is just so fascinating. And I, I don't know if they inspire each other, but I just find it very interesting as a creative. Uh, even not that they don't work together, but just as two people to come together, I'm always fascinated with Andy Samberg. He's a very interesting person, and I really, I think I really like his approach to comedy. Um, let's go the opposite. Let's take a look at John Mulaney. I am getting real tired of John Mulaney's stick, shtick, I should say. Really? I, I, I think for me, it's also from SNL into this show, it's always. Look, this is a character with a really sort of bland, monotone, interesting, like really weird voice. And that just seems to be his whole thing. I'd expect just something different. I like what Andy Samberg did with it. I didn't like what John Mulaney did with it. It just it just seems to be getting to a limit with me. Like I'm just kind of done with that sort of shtick with it. And I would have preferred maybe some.
somebody different in that. Maybe a Bill Hader or somebody else who's kind of coming up right now. Everybody else was really good, though. I don't really know John Mulaney. I I think I know his maybe writing on SNL, but him as a character, I never really paid attention to and I never listened to. Fair. I don't mind his voice. I didn't mind him as Chip. I thought he was. I thought he was okay. It wasn't like I was writing home about it, but I think I have enough of a distance from him that I'm like I don't really pay attention. It's to probably just me, just because I'm just kind of at my limit with him doing his things. He's also got some issues recently with some things, which I'll let the listener get into. But, but yeah, not my thing. Yeah, I mean, I it until you mentioned that I was like I didn't even make the association because like I, I guess I don't think that much about John Mulaney, but I I could see why you might feel that way about the the thing he does with his speaking voice sort of being overdone i i i, I could get that mm-hmm. but but yeah mixed reviews for all of us i think it's a good not great sort of overall vote from all three of us like aside from anthony really really enjoying it but we'll see what if it comes back i think it it has done extremely well it's very well received on rotten tomatoes critically and through audience votes so i mean it could come back and i mean really i think what we're seeing with something like this is just another one of these online streaming properties that is just throwing money at whatever people want to write it's kind of it's taking the netflix model that netflix is no longer doing because netflix is struggling i heard they changed their approach yeah, yeah they're completely doing things differently so disney's taking over and of course disney has millions upon millions of properties now to take advantage of and a ton of creatives that can just say i want to take something very very narrow which this is this is the most narrow cast of narrow cast kind of devices and just throw some more money at it and do something else with it it's like at the end of the of this Darkwing Duck was at his table, kind of pounding the table, going, "Where's my thing?" I think we're gonna see something like that next. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, yeah, it could be that, but I also, I mean, maybe I'm just a little more cynical. I just kind of feel like you, Anthony, myself, we're all at the age where, like, you know, that was our childhood. Disney and other entities see fit to try to exploit the fact that we have money now, and thus. They will continue to produce things like these that, you know, will grab our attention just because, you know, money. And it's funny, too, because I was uh, we were talking maybe not the last time we recorded, but maybe an episode or two about like that whole toy thing on uh, YouTube. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because like the whole Saturday morning cartoon sort of thing and like, you know, the generation that came up with that is kind of unique because I, I didn't realize it died for the reason that it died. Like, you know, it, the complaining about how much uh, yeah. uh, commercialism, mm-hmm. you know, kids were being fed and whatnot and like how parents kind of railed. So there really isn't another generation quite like ours in so far as, you know, we had all of this like product placement and cartoons specifically to design to hawk like some wares or uh you know toy or something like that like that is a, a distinctly our thing so it it doesn't surprise me that it's being exploited now 
For sure. Very well said. And it makes me think again to my point where I'm like, it's a children's cartoon movie. Like, it's a, a movie based on a children's cartoon from our childhood. Like, there weren't Tony Award winning writers on that show. There were people who were probably in the production department being like, we have to fill 16 episodes of mysteries. And, like, there's only three patterns that we can use. And then you just continually generate cartoons that nobody remembers except for the visuals and the product. Like, it's we know that Rescue Rangers was a good part of our childhood, so we're going to go back and watch that movie. Do you guys have any thoughts on what property you would like to see Chip and Dale eyes? Do you have kind of, like, an uh, old classic? Like, do you want to see a lot? Like, trans- oh. I want to see Transformers done in... Anything other than a Michael Bay form. Ah. I agree. And, and unfortunately, the next movie is um, Rise of the Beast or oh, something like that. Oh, like it's going to take. I know, but it's going to be the Beast Wars, which was the good cartoon. Like, Beast Wars for me was a really good cartoon and continuation of the Transformers universe. So I agree with you. I would want a Transformers movie that is more based and closely to the. To yeah. the actual yeah. yeah. I like the maker Michael Bayization of that franchise was awful. I remember watching the first one and I was like, Nope, no, thank you. This is not what I this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, I, I can look back at the movie and say that. When I was first watching it though, I was into it. Like I loved seeing oh, really? Optimus Prime come back and like I it it definitely like immediately following it was like Oh, I need a shower. Like that was I was <laughs> I don't like how I was feeling when I was watching was that greasy. movie, but it but when I was in it, I was in it. Like I really liked it. So I can I'm on board with the Transformers. I would like to see I I would like to see Darkwing. I want to see what Darkwing can be yeah. done based on like this similar style because there's it seems like well, I mean, true crime is so popular. Nostalgia is always going to be popular. Disney has tons of money. Why not make Darkwing like a proper sort of in the real world solving crimes at night sort oh, of deal, like, superhero style? He he has a podcast. Oh yeah, and somebody somebody calls in with a mystery and he has to solve it and get the old gang back together. Oh god, I want to write. There it. we go. It works out. I wouldn't mind seeing that with Snoopy either. Ooh, that would be good. Interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, sort of like the, the play in place. So, like, I wouldn't mind somebody exploring what they are like outside of the actual, like, production of Snoopy. That would be kind of Oh, cool. yeah. Go for the meta narrative. Nice. Mm-hmm. I love it. Lots on the table, for sure, with tons of properties like that. Like the teacher? <laughs> I'm sorry to, to explore this a little bit further, but like what the teacher actually sounds like when, you know, they're not like acting like it's just a, a, a grown up they want to ignore. Mm. Yes, and uh, I think it could also be a good callback that at the end of the movie, they go for a child's perspective, and Charlie Brown now is a wah 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 Oh, like Switch freaking uh, South Park. Like, yeah, when, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, with the, why does the music sound like shit? Like, yes, <laughs> that moment, exactly. Exactly, where it turns around, and all of a sudden, Charlie Brown's the wah wah And you're like, oh. Deep.
But this was, of course, always fun. Really good episode. And, of course, we appreciate our listeners for tuning in and uh, following along with our fun goofiness every once in a while. And, of course, we want our listeners to continue to subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of choice that you listen to. We're everywhere that you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, uh, Overwatch. If you find us, go ahead and uh, subscribe. If you listen to us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which is now accepting reviews, please rate and review our show that's the uh the real best way to get uh, more eyes and more ears onto our podcast is by giving us a, a great five-star review if you want to come and follow us on our uh social medias you can find us on twitter and instagram at even the score pod and we always appreciate your interactions there but of course for this episode i just want to thank anthony and jason for once again playing along in this fun space thanks again to you both thanks neighborino <laughs> thanks don thanks for having us again of course and thanks to the listeners once again for for tuning in this is the even the score podcast take care there's no